The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, November 17th, 2017 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And I understand that we're facing down the twin winds of sex scandal blowing across the right and the left. I also understand that we saw a Democratic senator's bribery trial end in a hung jury. Will we ever have a convicted politician again? Somehow the law seems to say no. But of course, the biggest story for our society and for all of our futures is the tax overhaul that the Republican Congress passed a couple days ago. Now, one reason that it's not getting as much attention as these other stories is that there is no teary potential victim with a yearbook inscription from Paul Ryan saying, to a sweeter, more beautiful estate of a multimillionaire, I could not say Merry Christmas. There is no picture of a leering Kevin McCarthy with his outstretched hands grasping at the state income tax deduction or the tax break for janitors at a college who can sweep up trash so that his kids can get a university education. No one is grinning like a fool as they increase the deficit by $1.5 trillion over a decade. Now, I know that the House has a more rightward tilt than the Senate, and we need the Senate to pass the tax overhaul. Well, we don't need it, but in order for it to become law, that is the process. But if anything, the Senate has elements in its version of tax overhaul that will hurt the middle class even more than the House bill does. And look, I get why we paid so much attention to the uh, the vote that killed off the bill to gut Obamacare. I mean, Obamacare is one thing. We all know the stakes with Obamacare and taxes are another thing. But guess what? The Senate bill would kill Obamacare. It's also a death to Obamacare bill tucked inside a series of even worse proposals. It's like a shit pinata when the pinata is actually the corpse of an actual dead donkey and the prizes inside are the beast's fetid entrails. Be disgusted all you want. No animals were actually harmed in the crafting of that analogy. This tax bill, by the way, as Roll Call reports, is so bad that the House that passed it knows that it needs to be changed. How changed? Well, they quote Mark Walker, head of the powerful Republican Study Committee, and he said that the number one thing his group is pushing for is the repeal of the individual mandate. They're going to need that in the House once the Senate passes their bill. If the Senate bill passes, it will not temper the House bill. It will make it worse. Daryl Issa, Republican of California, who voted against the bill in the House, he's from California. He knows that the lack of a state deduction of income taxes is going to kill his people. When they asked him about the bill that might come out of the Senate, he said, can I assume it will get worse? Yeah. And also agreeing with him is most of us. Quinnipiac found that only 25% of voters approve of this tax cut plan, while 52% disapprove. And 61% say the plan will benefit the wealthy. 24% say it'll be good for the middle class. Will 13 million people not having health care reverse those numbers? I'd say no. But of course, all this will come to pass or not, let's hope, only if we pay attention. On the show today, senator running for senator, president once president. Are you wondering whether to resign because of sex scandals? I'm here to offer my advice. Should you stay or should you go? I will tell all in the spiel. But first, a man of exceeding sensitivity, wondrous generosity, and fabulous capacity for personal growth and human connection, Gilbert Gottfried is none of those things. But what a new documentary shows is what those of us who've known his family for a long time have known is that he's twisted, 
He's a bizarre guy, but he's also a mensch. The documentary is called Gilbert. The director is here. Gilbert is here. And so is Gilbert Gottfried's wife, who is the best. You will like her, I swear. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where I uh, got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The new documentary, Gilbert, is about comedian Gilbert Gottfried, but it could have been titled Gottfried's because it's about Gilbert's entire family, the people who support the infamously eccentric comic. That's a nice way to say it, I think, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the people who turn him into what approaches a functional human being. That's a less nice way to say it, I guess. Yeah, sorry about that. Gilbert's sisters are featured. His children are there and also Gilbert's wife, Dara. She's treated a little like the sled in Citizen Kane. Not that her identity is withheld, but, you know, the idea that maybe we could begin to yeah, understand because him. she's flung into the furnace at the end <laughs> yeah. of the movie and you watch her burning. Yeah. Well, we see, we see the panning shot of these huge stretches of hotel soap <laughs> and toothpaste and then there's the sled there. Anyway, as you can tell, Gilbert Gottfried's here. So is the documentary's director, Neil Berkeley and Dara Gottfried. Hello, guys. Thanks for all coming Hello. in. Thank you. Neil, let's start with you. A lot of us have seen Gilbert and thought that was funny and then said, what the hell is going on there? But you took that question a little further than most of us. I did. Yeah, yeah. This, so I, I grew up in the 80s. Um, I was always a fan, always in, in everything he did. He was always, you know, he's part of the lexicon. Everyone yeah. did the impression. Everyone knew who he was. But I also knew that no no one knew very much about his personal life at all. And I just got very curious about that. And what's it like to always be in a character? And it's a true story. I was so curious about it that after I finished my second movie, I just started telling people I'm going to make a Gilbert Gottfried movie. But I never really tried. Like, I never called his agent or his manager. And one day I was walking on 6th Avenue with this woman named Astrid Dorf. And she said, what everyone says, what's your next movie going to be about? And I said, oh, Gilbert Gottfried, as if I was already making it. But I, yeah. never, I was never trying. I never called his agent. And she looked at me like she was angry. And I go, oh, man, she hates Gilbert Gottfried because <laughs> they're, they're out there. And uh, 
She goes, no, it's weird you said that to me because his wife is my best friend and they live two blocks over there. And so I met them the next day. And seven months later, Derek called me and said, just come out for a week and see how it goes. And if you're happy, if he's happy, we'll, we'll make a movie. So Dara, why'd you think it was a good idea? Why'd you say yes? Well, you know what? I, I was familiar with Neil's work. I saw his two other movies and they were excellent. He did, um, you did Harmontown? Correct. Harmontown yeah. and Beauty's Embarrassing. Right. So I don't know what is Beauty's Embarrassing. Beauty's Embarrassing is about Wayne White. He was the art director on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Right. And Beekman's World. And- so, so slightly comic and then Harmon's World is understanding a comedian with a lot going on. Uh, yeah. So that's similar to Gilbert. Very with, similar. Yeah. And yeah. an interesting but far different family dynamic. Right. Sorry, yeah. I cut you off. <laughs> no, no. Here. I just, I, I was impressed with Neil. I really liked him. I, I had a good sense that he was a good guy, you know, and he really respected Gilbert and he knew everything about his work and, and stuff. He was really persistent to be honest with you i mean he sent us like a handwritten note on parchment paper about, oh, really? about what i mean, I mean that's, that's really you know a classy yellowed yes. yeah it was. it was really classy um so i just you know he it kind of wore us down i guess and i kept asking gilbert do you want to do this do you want to do this and he couldn't make a decision and so finally i just said to neil you know what just come out for a week Try it, and if Gilbert's comfortable, keep going. And if not, then at least you could say you gave it a try. So, Gilbert, why were you on the fence? Number one, I mean, I had done a handful of reality shows, which I hate doing. Yes. I hate to reveal stuff. Neil came up to me and he said, I've always dreamt of doing a Gilbert Gottfried documentary. And I said, well, you should set your dreams higher. (laughs) (laughs) So I have seen you on a couple of those reality shows. And one was, was it Wife Swap? So you traded families with Alan Thicke's family? Is that right? Uh, Yes. Yeah. In that documentary... There was something that I sure I was sure was a put upon thing that document or that I called it a documentary. I thought it was just a reality TV show trick or you were trying to be funny where you were so cheap that you wouldn't see a Broadway show without two furs or something like that. Yeah. 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 yeah that's that's not made up. <laughs> so, right. yeah. so I was like, that's funny. He found a way to do shtick in the show where he wasn't where he was just so intent on getting a bargain that he wouldn't take Alan Thicke's wife who's used to a life of luxury out. But that's actually true. That was true. That was how you are. Yeah, but we did the switch, and I got to have sex with Alan Thicke for a week. (laughs) Yeah. So I understand you book gigs, and then everything comes out of your pay. So if you want to be stupid and blow your accommodations on the Four Seasons, you won't net any money. That I get. Yeah. But how far is too far? Oh, I haven't found it yet. <laughs> there was one time we were walking on the street, and Gilbert loves like finding money in, on the street, like yeah. coins, pennies, pennies. He loves yeah. finding pennies. pennies. And one time we were walking on the street, and he goes, "Yeah, but like this one where it's smashed in the asphalt, you can't get those out." And he was really sad about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could have. I was thinking of coming back later with a screwdriver and prying it out. It's just the city's way of mocking you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Do any when you analyze it, are you sometimes? I th- this might be literal in this case, pound foolish, penny wise, or whatever the expression. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So like you wind up blowing money just to save money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a free thing. I think you, this, the idea of getting yes. a free thing is so exciting. I could get a job where I'm getting a hundred million. Yes. 
and they go, okay, you get a hundred million and you get a free box of cereal. And I'll go, oh, a free box of cereal. Wow. Wait, and then there's probably a prize in the cereal. Yeah. yeah, yeah you can sell right. that on eBay. But Everyone yeah. says you can sell it on eBay. None of this gets sold. This, I know. It all gets stored in, in boxes yeah. under the beds. Well, Nothing I want to is... ask you about that, Dara. I know that you've... You can't change a person. That's uh, right. You can't totally change a person. You have to be wise about accepting yes. that which you can't change. But there must have been some battles or some things that you insisted on over well, the years. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, when we moved out, when he moved out of his old apartment and we moved in together, he had a two-bedroom apartment. And the entire second bedroom was filled with these soaps, Eastern Airlines soaps, Pan Am soaps. <laughs> I mean, you name it. And I said, Gilbert, we can't Czarist bring... Russia soap. Yeah, <laughs> we just can't bring I, all this I with us. soaps from the spruce goose. <laughs> yeah. So we gave a lot. I mean, we did. It was really hard for him, but we, we donated a lot to there, charity. There we are, did. There are charities <laughs> looking for yeah. Pan Am soap. <laughs> <laughs> well, not... <laughs> Only well, Pan he, Am. Yeah. yeah. Right. You ever examine what compels, what compels you to keep the soaps? Yeah. I Well, number one, it's getting stuff for free. Sure. And two, like my upbringing, like my father had a hardware store in a side street in Coney Island, and we lived in a little apartment walk up over the the hardware store, so it was never like a big money making operation. My mother was always, you know, finding coupons or what was on sale, and I knew there were certain products and certain brand names that we would never see in our house. And and so I think a lot of it stems from that. So you start to go, oh, this is free? Okay. <laughs> you know, if, if someone says I've got a, you know, uh, big cartons of sanitary napkins, I'd go, wait, I, for free? Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll take them. After September 11th, and sometimes when I'd walk down the street, I, I'd slow down a little by a firehouse. To, and if they recognized me, I'd talk to the firemen. So one time they invited me in. They're all talking to me and saying, you know, since September 11th, people are sending us stuff. Like they're sending us, for some reason, like pairs of socks. <laughs> and they're sending us flashlights. And yeah. And yeah. we we don't really need yeah. socks or flashlights. No. No. We don't know why they're sending. And I said, uh, well, what kind <laughs> of socks do you have? And and uh, they brought out this box. I grabbed a bunch of pairs of socks. And I said, and can I have about, I don't know, two, three flashlights? Because I can use those. So basically, uh, September 11th added up to me getting free socks and a couple of flashlights. That's right. The hurricane hits, people donate water. Somehow it's going to wind up in your apartment. Yes. <laughs> it's gonna beware. It's the way of the world. So it's going back, and I I want to ask you about one aspect of your career. So you started going on Howard Stern or being mm. on there a lot, and they turned you into a character essentially. Yeah. In fact, sometimes they made made you dress up as Dracula. Yeah. Do you feel that at that point you're they were defining your persona more than you were? What sticks out with me about the Stern shows while I was doing it, I was going in. We had a. a great chemistry on the air yes and we'd be joking and laughing and and that was great and it's like 
the minute there was a commercial break, you know, he'd kind of look down at his papers and I'd be uh, just twiddling my thumbs. And and then when the show was over and we were off the air, it was like, uh, all right, all right, uh, bye. Yeah. Letterman was like that too, right? Like during commercial breaks, he often wouldn't talk to the We ran into him, I guess, a couple times and it was always kind of awkward. Yeah. Yeah, it was never a personal, like... Off the air, it, se- it seemed like a whole different thing. We but didn't... that, I mean, but you that's must how think, you are. You must too, think Gilbert. that's okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You I'm can't fault a guy that. for that. Quite often, I look at my life as a Twilight Zone episode, like those episodes where a guy wakes up and he's in this totally different world, totally different life. I wake up. And I go, what are these other clothes hanging here? And what's this weird apartment where the furniture matches? And they go, why, you're married, sir. What, so me and some woman live here? Yes, you a woman and two children that are your children, sir. (laughs) I don't think I could have imagined it. And I wish I could enjoy things fully, but I feel like I still haven't uh, woken up and said, oh, this is my life. This is Darius. Hello? Eventually, Neil's here. Oh, okay. So that means get off the phone? Uh, yeah, it means fuck you. Okay, I love you. Okay. <laughs> Darren, did you learn anything about your husband through the documentary? That's that's a tough one. I feel. I mean, we've been together over twenty years. I feel like I knew most of. I think. I I think you've learned that people can handle the humor. Dara's yeah, very that's... fearful of what's going to come out of Gilbert's mouth. Yeah. There's a yeah. joke in the movie that she said, "If you put that joke in the movie, I'll never talk to you again." And she's very <laughs> serious. And I put it in the movie because I feel like it had to go in the movie. I think you're probably realizing that people are more okay with the humor. I and yes, it still scares me a bit. But I got the sense that you're protective of him. Yeah, definitely. Okay, two things. One, you absolutely think he's funny, and you don't. I do. You don't get offended by him. No, No. never. Yes, no, because you know it's coming from. I don't get offended at all. I just worry. I just hope he doesn't make anyone else upset. So, but so then, what form does your protectiveness have to take? Is that just something for you to manage? Do you ever give him advice? Of course, I do. But he doesn't listen to me. Uh (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think history shows that. Gilbert, I don't think you should tweet that. Or Gilbert, I don't. I don't think that's a good idea. He's he thinks differently than most people. The thing about people being able to handle the humor, like we have so many people call and say, "Man, I'm a huge fan. I made my wife watch it, and I looked over halfway through, and she was bawling or she was laughing." Yeah, like so, people that that shouldn't be going to a Gilbert Guyfrey movie, they find it and they see it, and their reaction has been really pretty incredible. Yeah, definitely. What's really cool to me also is how many women love this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the reaction from women, and I understand it because. I mean, I love the guy. I've been with him 20 years. Like, of course, I, I've seen it from, from the beginning. But the fact that, you know, other women I feel see oh, yeah. it too now, that's kind of cool, you know? Yeah, because I think they're, they're also married to crazy people. And you know, everyone's got these relationships. So it's nice to see that people have that. 
I'm hoping this movie gets me laid a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's up to the woman on your left. Or possibly Neil. I have no idea. Okay, so here's the last thing I want to ask. First of all, Dara, it's so clear that you think Gilbert's hysterical. And that is, is very important to he the is. relationship. Yes? He is, of course. Yes. Is it important for you that Dara is a big fan of yours? Comedically, I mean. Well, I, I, I guess it's better than if she started saying... You know who's funnier than you, Carrot Top? <laughs> <laughs> he does Just, this thing with a propeller on his nose. Subtly, like, giving you props yeah. to work yes. into your act. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I think he's an absolute genius. You know? I, I mean, I that's what I fell in love that's with. Important. I mean, his it's, brain is unbelievable. Yeah, it's important, I think, just for, for, her to him, for her to be a fan so they stay together. Like, the movie ends with her, and this sums up the relationship, I think, with her saying, I love you, and he says, that's your problem. Yes. <laughs> and you have to laugh at that. Too. And as you establish, you've turned fuck you into a term of endearment. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but do you ever, when the cameras aren't around, actually say I love you? Uh, oh, that's still uncomfortable. I'm able to say it to the kids. Okay. Yeah. But anything else, anywhere else? Well, it's like growing up, there was never, you know, uh, the word love. Oh. And yeah. Yeah. It was just not around. It wasn't. And and I always uh, cringed at these people who said, well, you know, my parents gave me every material thing I ever wanted, but they never said I love you. And I thought. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> At least you yeah. got the material. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get get me a new a hot new pair of sneakers. <laughs> the name of the documentary is Gilbert. Gilbert Godfrey, Dara Godfrey was the subject, and Neil Berkeley is the director. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you Thank all so much. You. And now the spiel. Al Franken should not resign. I've been reading a lot of pieces, hearing a lot of interviews, weighing in on this, lots of weighing, tons of weighing, brow furrowing. Well, on the one hand, it would send a message. On the other hand, having enough Democratic senators are important. On the other hand, there's a Democratic governor in Minnesota, so his replacement would be a Democrat. On the other hand, wait, isn't this supposed to be about morality, not politics? On the other hand, won't the floodgates just open looking into every Democratic senator with a Republican governor? Everyone would be out to get him. On the other hand, what about doing the right thing? Uh, And you thought... Al Franken was the octopus. Those are a lot of hands, which can spend a lot of time wringing each other. But no, I say Al Franken should not resign. He forcibly kissed a woman in 2006, and that was wrong, and that was gross. Not cool, Al. He took a picture with his hands outstretched near or maybe on her chest as she was sleeping, wearing a flak jacket. You saw it. He was trying to be funny, he says. I got a tweet. How is that funny? Explain how that is possibly funny. In general... It is a no-win game to try to explain something that is trying to be funny and is not funny. You will always default to, but that's not funny. Even when my point is, yeah, I know it's not funny. I'm just explaining how it's trying to be funny. Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, you know, the character of Pantalone, a direct descendant of the figures in the Satyricon by Gaius Petronius. Look, I get it. It wasn't funny. And it's not an excuse. So if we don't excuse it, if we say there's no excuse for this, or if we say that's not acceptable, well, what does that mean? Does not acceptable mean automatically fired? Sounds strong. That's not acceptable. Okay, so what does that mean? He's fired? He's jailed? He's fined? What? 
So here are a few factors that I think about. It's sort of what societies think about when they mete out punishments. Things like severity of the act, frequency of the act. Is it a pattern of behavior? Was it a hostile word or a hostile action? Did it contain a threat afterwards? Was there retribution to the victim? What about the status of the victim, an adult or a child, a peer or an underling? Was there remorse by the abuser? What was the reaction of the victim? Add it all up, and I don't think Al Franken should resign. I asked myself, played this little game, all right, what about partisanship? Okay, what about if before he joined the Senate, Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson, while he was working at the custom sheet extruder that he worked at, and while he was sharing a cot with a fellow employee, which happened, touched or kissed that employee without her permission? It was once, it lasted a moment. Should today, if that happened in 2006, Ron Johnson resign his seat? I say no, unless he really wants to. Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas. Let's say before he entered politics, the guy's a JAG lawyer, he's with the army. What if he's prepping a case, it's late at night, fellow female JAG lawyer, a captain also, he kisses her. She does not like it. Years later, he admits it. She accepts his apology. Should he go? I say no. Now, what I didn't say is, now let's say he's alleged to have molested a series of, I don't know, what is it now? Most of the graduating class of Gadsden area, junior high school, 77. Should he go? Now, if I was the right kind of serious news intoner who sagely grouses, I would say, Roy Moore, have you no decency? Well, I think the answer is pretty clear about that, right? There are all these people who are saying right and left that Roy Moore should go. That's crazy. I think he should stay. Stay in the race, you backwards perv. Lose the safest seat in the Senate for six years. Demonstrate to the world Steve Bannon's political acumen. Embody the wisdom of grabbing onto the most radical character because that's all that matters. It's sending a message and sticking it to the establishment. You stay in there, Roy. I'm not a suburban mall in the 1970s. I want you to stay. You know who else I want to stay? 1998 Bill Clinton. Hey, I got my wish on that one. So U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand says Bill Clinton should have resigned. Matt Iglesias and Vox said the same thing. This is the war room meets the time machine. I don't know. Maybe Hoover should have resigned over the Depression and FDR should have resigned over interning the Japanese and Truman should have resigned over Nagasaki. That one was overkill. And Eisenhower should have resigned over CIA involvement in Guatemala. Kennedy had affairs. LBJ used the N-word and called his penis jumbo. Nixon, he did resign. Ford pardoned Nixon. That guy should resign. Carter lusted in his heart. Reagan, Iran-Contra and apartheid. Bush alleged to have groped while in office. It's coming out. Clinton, that's what we're talking about. The other Bush, I can't think anything he did wrong. And Obama used Coke in college. All of them resign. They're great calls to make on the op-ed page, especially years later. If I'm a senator or even the president of the United Op-Ed Page of America, I'd say resign too. After all the appropriate hand-wringing, leave town in shame. But in the real world, what if Bill Clinton had resigned? What if he had said, I can no longer serve you, I realize. What if he said, my critics are right. Ken Starr eventually steered me to the moral direction. Gillibrand says, well, then Al Gore would be president because, you know, it's a moral stance, but also let's not be stupid politically. And I guess we are to assume that everything that Clinton achieved, Gore would have also achieved because he's the same quality politician as Bill Clinton. And let's just take one thing that happened. And Clinton didn't have a great record of achievement post-Lewinsky scandal. Most presidents in year seven and eight don't. But you know what he did? He led the bombing campaign over Kosovo, or at least spearheaded it. And NATO bombed Kosovo, bombed away the Serbs, 
could have saved, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand lives. A million people fled. Most of them came back. Not one U.S. serviceman or anyone involved in the NATO bombing campaign lost their life. There was some loss of life on the ground. But this is widely seen as one of the most successful uses of air power for humanitarian reasons in history. Well, what if Clinton wasn't there? Here's Representative Peter King on Fox News reminding us of how committed to this Clinton was. Back in 1999, with Kosovo, the House did vote against engagement in Kosovo, and Bill Clinton kept fighting anyway, and then ultimately a vote did pass. But he had uh, bombing missions being carried out in Kosovo after the House of Representatives voted against him taking action. So the pres- Kosovo otherwise might have been saved by a President Gore who made the same call in the same forceful way, but maybe not. Ultimately, it's pretty frivolous to play with the actual result of Kosovo. Though there is no cost to say, yeah, Clinton should have resigned. Also, I guess Gloria Steinem should have resigned. I mean, she just bought back Ms. Magazine in 1998. Should have left that. Remember that op-ed in the New York Times? Quote, commentators might stop puzzling over the president's favorable poll ratings, especially among women, if they understood the common sense guideline to sexual behavior that came out of the women's movement 30 years ago. No means no. Yes means yes. It's the basis of sexual harassment law. Yeah, but it's not the basis of today's thinking where power is something to also consider. Now, when you're talking about the position of the most powerful person in the world, it's kind of no win for that guy, but no sympathy for Bill Clinton. Then Monica Lewinsky was not seen as a victim by Bill Clinton's actions sexually. Now she is. I see both sides of that argument, and she certainly was victimized by the Clintonistas after Ken Starr thrust her voluntary affair into the spotlight. And of course, to say Bill Clinton should go also says Tony Morris needs to do some apologizing. Remember when she called him our first black president in the wake of the Lewinsky scandal? It was because so many forces were going after him for sex. Let me quote from that New Yorker talk of the town piece. When the president's body, his privacy, his unpoliced sexuality became the focus of the persecution, when he was metaphorically seized and body searched, who could gainsay these black men who knew whereof they spoke? The message was clear. No matter how smart you are, how hard you work, how much coin you earn for us, we will put you in your place or put you out of the place you have somehow, albeit with our permission, achieved. You will be fired from your job, sent away in disgrace, and who knows, maybe sentenced in jail to boot. Clinton should have gone in 1998. You know, his popularity in 1998 hit 73%. So having him do the walk of shame out of 1600 Pennsylvania doesn't seem the most democratic of impulses. Today, Willie Geist on MSNBC read the lead of a New York Times article. It just reads, there was a time when the question of whether to disown a candidate accused of sexually abusing a 14-year-old girl was fairly straightforward. We're living in- and that time was the same time when a senator who impermissibly kissed a colleague would not be expected to resign. It seems impossible that now, in this time, we're moving away from that time in such disparate directions at such breakneck speed. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Pierre Bienname is going to resign over rumors that he waxed a table against the grain. Just producer Mary Wilson is going to resign for perpetuating that thing where the youngest team member is made to wax the executive producer of Slate Podcast's table. 
against the grain. And who is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts? Why, it's Steve Lichtai, a man with a wax table. But he's going to resign over the fact that two-thirds of the Culture Gab Fest does not like Billy on the Street. The gist. Well, it was the gist, but we're going to resign over our youthful indiscretions presiding over the Trump anxiety hotline. Remember that? I told everyone it would be all right. It was not all right. So I resign. I recommend you listen to O'Reilly's podcast. That guy's never wrong. Oomperoo, deperoo, duperoo, and thanks for listening.